Well, uh, I'm so excited to be back. It's been, uh, uh, I guess, a y- almost a year since I was here before, and it's so good to be here, especially the timing. As Scott mentioned, it was only a few weeks ago that Mackenzie and Ben, this big day of celebration, and uh, I was really uh, glad that so many from Grace got to come and celebrate with us. So thank you, and it was a it was a great day for our family. We just rejoiced. Uh, we love Ben and Mackenzie so much. And, and I got to say one thing. Um, I am very jealous of Grace Community because you get Benjamin and Mackenzie here with you at, at Grace Community Church. So um, I'm a little jealous. And uh, I just say we love Ben and Mackenzie. Excited for them in this new season in their life. Well, today I'm going to be preaching from Romans chapter 1, and what we're going to see in this passage is that um, Paul is going to talk about the pressure that we experience from our culture against our Christianity and against the gospel. But as we listen to, you know, these things that we're going to learn about Paul and ancient Rome, I want us to connect these with where we live in here in, in, in Metro Atlanta, in, in America's culture, in our present day. So do we experience pressure from our culture? We experience this all the time. And it's not just as it relates to our Christianity. Consider this example, McDonald's. So I was in Germany last month, and uh, in Germany, McDonald's is like this super cool restaurant. And you know, it's, a, it's around the lunch hour, and I'm traveling with uh, some co-workers that are, you know, European co-workers. And, and so they say to me, do you want to stop at McDonald's? And, uh, you know, I'm, I guess they're thinking, well, he's an American, and this is an American restaurant, so, you know, th- this is where we should go. Yeah, I'm thinking, oh boy. I was like, well, sure, I like McDonald's, it's fine. So we go to McDonald's, and it's exactly what you would expect. It's you know, Big Macs, Quarter Pounders, I mean, it's, it's the same thing. So we, you know, we go to order and I tell them, I say, you know, in America, you get made fun of for going to McDonald's. I was like, they, you know, they would say something like, oh, you should have gone somewhere healthy and organic, not that greasy McDonald's, oh my God. You know, that's, that's what you get. Another food example, um, anybody remember years ago, when you could bring donuts to work. We're like, you know, hey, it's a special occasion. It's Friday. I'm going to bring in donuts, right? And so I actually, years ago in my office, I would actually, I was a part of a donut club. So we would bring, we rotate, and guys would bring donuts into the office like, you know, every Friday somebody else would bring them. But, but you know, donuts weren't, uh, over time, they weren't in vogue anymore, so our donut club turned into a bagel club. And then bagels even went to the naughty list. So, you know, an example of something that might be, you know, on the approved list for our culture is Starbucks. So even if whoever you're meeting with doesn't like coffee, you still get cool points for bringing Starbucks, right? Well, the point here is that our culture exerts incredible influence on us. It tells us to feel shame if we eat at McDonald's, if we bring in Krispy Kremes, if we follow Christ, if we believe the folly of the gospel. 
So let's read Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that, Lord, you teach us from your word. And you don't just impart to us words and truth. You impart to us life. And you send your Holy Spirit that we would know your love, your power, your grace in our lives. And God, as we gather as your church today, you said where two or more are gathered, there I am in your midst. And God, I just pray you would be powerfully in our midst today, that Lord, we would receive from you all that you've desired for your church today, God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, in, in this passage, Paul is telling us that the gospel is the power of God. And so the, the topic that Paul wants to address for us is power, the power that's in our lives. And so um, when you think about power, you know, I want us to examine our hearts today against that mirror of God's word. And the question that I want us to think about as it relates to this is, what is the source of power for my life? What is my power source? You know, when I engage in life, the fears, the pressures, the anxieties, where is the power that comes from that I engage these with? So I drive a Volkswagen, and I bought this a few years ago. And so when I was shopping for this car, Volkswagen had this weird marketing advertisement thing. They said of the engine, they said it was this 175 horsepower turbocharged power plant. You know, power plant? It's, it's like I got some kind of nuclear reactor under the hood or something. You know, I, I guess it was like a European marketing thing that just didn't quite translate to English. I don't know. But, um, but it's true. The, the, the engine is the power plant for the car. That's where the power comes from that makes the car go. So what is the power plant for your life? And our passage is going to speak directly to this issue. Paul says the gospel is the power of God. The grace of God through Christ is God's power for our lives. And what I want to do for us today as we study this passage is I want us to look at the divide between two sources of power. My power and God's power. So let's begin our study looking at my power. So Romans 1.16 begins by saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel. So Paul acknowledges here in saying ashamed, he's saying that there is pressure coming from the culture against Paul and against the church in Rome, against Christianity and specifically against the message of the gospel. Now, to understand some of what's going on here, um, I want to look back at verses 14 and 15 to give us a little bit of context. And it says, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, 
So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So Paul, you know, he goes through this catalog of people that he wants to preach the gospel to. He says the the Greeks, the Gentiles, the wise, the foolish, and now also Rome. As if Rome has its own category of why Paul wants to preach the gospel to these people. And just to kind of understand this setup, so in, in 1 Corinthians, in, in Paul's letter to Corinth, he comes very directly at the Corinthian church, identifying the idols of Corinthians' uh, culture. And he says, he's, and, 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 you know, think about idols, so just a little you know, the way to think about this idolatry is it's those preconceived notions that Corinth had that made them predisposed to, you know, to not receive, to feel shame because of the gospel. So listen to what Paul says. Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. See, Paul understands the Corinthian. It's a church made up of Jews and Greeks and they come into this, uh, this understanding with uh, preconceived notions that say that the gospel is weakness and folly. And so a preacher like Paul has to come in and he has to overcome these objections that are, that are present. And so he has to preach so that he can overcome this shame that they have directed at the message of the gospel. And so now we come to Rome. And in, and in Rome, just like in these other places, they are experiencing this pressure against the message of the gospel. And so also in Rome, similar to what Paul did in identifying these idols of the Corinthian culture, Paul is going to identify the idols of Rome in Romans 1.16. Power. Um, John Peter Lang is, is a, a German theologian, and he comments on this passage saying, I am not ashamed, what we just read in verse 16, is an answer by anticipation to an objection which was readily suggested by the word Rome in verse 15. With all its associations of idolatry, worldly power, pride, pomp, and corruption. So you can see what Paul has in view here. Rome, this center of power for the ancient world, with all of its pride and corruption, this place of worldly power versus the gospel, which is the power of God. And it is this divide that, that Paul wants to draw out for us. But let's fast forward a little bit from ancient Rome to present day. I believe that we experience, much like we see here in Rome, I believe we experience from our American culture a lot of these same things around human pride, around worldly power. It feels like as we go through our day-to-day life, we're always getting sized up. Like, I'm better than you. I'm, I am uh, smarter than you. I 
am, I have more money than you. Or I'm, I'm stronger than you, so I'm going to intimidate you. I'm prettier than you. All these ways that we feel this pressure that wants to, 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 to draw us into this, this setup that is all based on my power, my gifts. For me, when I experience that pressure, what I am, uh, you know, my first reaction is that I want to rise up and just fire right back. Well, I'm just as smart as you. I have just as much money as you. I'm just as strong as you are. What about you? If you're like me, the areas that you're quick to respond back is the areas where you're sensitive, where you have weakness. If you're self-conscious about um, your looks, you feel shame about, you know, I'm not pretty enough. And so how do you respond? You say, I'll show them. Or an area that gets close to home for me, money. You look around and you see the standard of living, the way people around you live, and, and you feel like, I don't measure up. And so how do you respond? You put your head down and you work harder. We build this identity to try to fight back against the world. To, to have this strength and identity which is built out of my power. But listen, it's a trap. The more that we get drawn into this place of, of human pride and my power, we're also drawn into this shame and fear of the constant comparisons, of all the ways that you don't measure up. And in this place, it's easy to be ashamed of the gospel. Ashamed of the weakness that's inherent in our need for the grace of God that is in the gospel. And because of this, not only are we tempted to hide the gospel from the reproach of the world, but we're also tempted to possibly forsake the truth of the gospel for our own lives. So how do we fight back? Well, I'm glad you asked. So let's talk about our second point, the power of God. So in Romans 1.16, Paul says that the gospel is the power of God. Paul makes a very deliberate connection between the power of God and the gospel. And this is very important for us because what we want to do is we want to examine this question, what is the source of power for my life? So the gospel, the nature of the gospel, is that we bring weakness and need. We bring our lack of power to God's grace that we could receive his power through the gospel. Now another thing I want us to be careful about as we kind of want to understand the power of God is that I don't want us to oversimplify this or reduce this gospel power to just that one moment when we placed our faith in Christ. A lot of times when you read Romans 1.16, it's explained in the context of evangelism, right? It's like um, the power of God as, as in God saving sinners, saving lost to come to Christ. And that is 
absolutely a, a truth from this passage, but there's more than that. When Paul says that I desire to come and to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome, he's, he's speaking much more broadly than just an evangelistic crusade. He's saying, I want to bring the gospel power to the church because the gospel is the gateway. It is the, the, the gate through which we receive the power of God for all of our life. Psalm 103 talks about this grace that God has for us, this gospel power that he has for us. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good. That's a picture of life lived in the power of God through the gospel. Now, we talked earlier about several examples of um, the pressure that we feel from the culture, the ways that we feel pressure to, to engage with my power. Well, what I want us to do is to, to uh, apply those to our life in how the power of God responds to this pressure. So I have uh, a few examples. So the first example, staying safe. Think about all the ways that we, we try to keep ourselves and our families from harm. In our, our human strength, in our own power, how do we try to meet this need? Well, we have locks for our doors. We have security systems. But think about it. Even after you have done all these things to protect yourself, is there still fear? The fear doesn't go away because you lock the door. But what does the power of God say about this? Psalm 91. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. Even more than the locks on our doors, more than the watchmen on the wall, God is our refuge. He is our mighty fortress. And because of his great love, his perfect love casts out our fears. Second example, money. So how do we... um, address this need in our own strength. Well, we earn money and we save. We have savings accounts to back up our savings accounts. But think about it. Even after you have done all of this to protect yourself against any financial threat, is there still anxiety? Do you still worry about your finances? What does the power of God say about this? Philippians chapter 4. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Deuteronomy 8. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. It is the power of God that provides for us all things. 
And because he is the one providing all things for us, because he cares for us, we can cast all our cares on him. Third area, our relationship with God. So all of us have to answer the the big questions in life. Um, Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? And if you are uh, a Christian, if you are in Christ, another question you might struggle with is, am I really a Christian? So how do we deal with these kinds of questions in our own power? Well, we, um, we read books. We listen to experts on these issues. But even after we've done all of these things, the doubts and the questions are still there. But what does the power of God say about this? How does the power of God answer these questions? Romans chapter 8. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Our Father He reassures us, saying, I know the plans that I have for you. And because of his love for us, he not only tells us these things that he has in his heart for us, but he sends his Holy Spirit that we would know the security that we have in his family as his own. Thank you, Lord. Now, to close our time, what I would like to do is to look at an example of the power of God in the life of Moses. So, um, the setting for this encounter that I would like to look at is that um, the, the people of Israel had been encamped for many months at Mount Sinai. And this was while God was giving to the people the law, but it was no picnic Get it? Camping, picnic. Ha <laughs> ha. Anyway, so um, so they the Moses brings the law down the mountain to the people, and they're worshiping a golden calf. Not good. And so God in Exodus thirty three tells Moses, "It's time to leave Mount Sinai." But He says to him, "But my presence will not go with you because this is a stiff necked people." So I want you to notice here, Moses is dealing with the same pressures, the same kind of of difficulties that we're talking about in our context. So how does Moses respond? Moses prays, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. And so God grants his request and he says, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. But but Moses continues to pray, and he asks God, he says, show me your glory. So God answers and says this, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. 
Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. Then in Exodus 34, it says that the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And in that moment, Moses bowed his head to the earth and worshipped. Put yourself in Moses' shoes in that moment. Do you think that when God's glory came that Moses was worrying about his finances, worrying about his safety? Think about all the, the, the crazy things that we obsess about because of shame and fear. I just think about from my own time. When I go to pray, I have all these thoughts scrolling through my head like, how am I going to provide for that financial need? What's going to happen at my doctor's visit? Did I forget to lock the doors at the house before I left? But in that moment with God, these fears and anxieties, they don't exist because the glory of God consumes all of them. It's as if fire fell from heaven and consumed them like kindling wood. Have you ever had a moment like this with God? Now, maybe you weren't actually in the cleft of the rock, but you actually had this experience with the glory of God that was this powerful encounter with God. I had an experience like this. Um, it was back, uh, uh, very memorable for me, just because the setting for this had absolutely nothing to do with um, you know, what you would think about for an encounter with God. I was on a, a trip to Sturgis, Michigan. Michigan, you, you, you know where Sturgis, Michigan is? Okay, well, it's a long way from here. So, so I, I had to go there for training, and so my, my company was too cheap to buy me a plane ticket. So they, um, they, they sent me in, um, they said they also didn't want to rent a car because I was going to be in this training for several weeks. So they sent me in this work van that was like one of those, you know, white work vans that, you know, hollowed out, you know, no seats in the back because they use it for hauling stuff. And so I'm driving for all of these hours in this dopey work van to Michigan. So I'm on this trip and I'm, you know, I'm listening to worship music and singing and the glory of God falls. It just keeps getting stronger and stronger. And so I continue to press in until finally I get to Michigan and I get out of that, that van and I'm like, man, if anybody gets in this van, watch out. This is a holy place. The presence of God is here. Have you ever had a moment like that? Where the, the glory of God is so powerfully present that the fears, the shame, the anxiety are gone. Now listen, the, the, the fears, they don't leave because I had some emotional experience, like it's a bunch of emotional hype. The reason that the fears leave is because your mind and heart finally wrap themselves around the fact that these things that you fear, they don't stand a chance in the presence of God. When God's glory is revealed, financial needs are consumed. 
Health concerns are gone. Threats, fears, intimidation, they're gone because he is our refuge. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? These fears, they go because he is greater. These things that we fear don't stand a chance against the power of God. The question that we came in asking today was, what is the source of power in my life? So receive this this call from God's word today, that we would walk in the power of God through the gospel. Let's pray. God, this is, Lord, your power that we walk in. Lord, it is your power that takes all of the fears, all of the shame, all of the anxiety, and you cast it away. You pour out your presence. You pour out your power that we would know you, that we would know all of the ways that you're providing for us. And God, today, we just as your people just receive your power. God, we lay down uh, all of the ways that we have put our trust in our own strength, our own power. And God, we just say to you, Lord, we want you. We want your power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.